Father in heaven, we're so grateful to thee for blessing us so richly, Lord, that we can be in thy house in this day and be here, Lord, protected from the outside elements and protected from harm and evil around us. Lord, we don't have to look far and see that that is a privilege that we surely take for granted. Lord, loved ones in harm's way, um, even in this moment, we're sure. And so, Lord, we intercede on their behalf. Pray that you would be the protector and keeper and encourager of all those that find themselves um, in Ukraine in particular. Lord, we're, we're mindful even as we're reminded so many other times of those as we read in the the voice of the martyrs or in other places, Lord, that don't have this privilege. And It's not to say that we don't have um, things that war against us here, Lord, but they take on a different, a different face. And so pray that Perhaps in this morning, as we look into your word, that your spirit would direct our minds and our hearts to see the conflict around us so that we might be more prepared to be effective servants, Lord, to be effective um, teachers and and preachers and and witnesses to the world around us of the need for a Savior and the need for a Father and the need for redemption. And Lord, I pray that our, our, our hearts and our minds could be focused about thy word to, to see that today. Pray that you'd be with those who cannot be with us, Lord, uh, mindful of their needs. Provide particular encouragement for them in this day. And, and Father, stay with us as we would meditate about, about thy truths and, and give us encouragement where it's needful for our hearts. And for it, we'll thank thee in advance. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Wednesday night, uh, as we were having Bible study, I, a comment came, I made a comment that, um, that we have these, uh, these examples of letters that the Apostle Paul wrote that he said to circulate that among the other churches. And it was letters, this, in this particular case, we're going to talk about Colossians, um, was a place he'd never been. And it, the... I think the context of the thought as we were discussing it on Wednesday night was trying to encourage more, um, more fellowship among our churches and, and trying to encourage um, visitation. The kind of communication I had this week with, with Uncle Bill was that there's a schedule going out now for um, ministering brothers to, to go to small churches and to, to preach there once a month in some cases, twice a month in other cases. And we were, it was an email, but as I'm emailing him, with him, I, I just had to chuckle. I said, if 10 years ago or 15 years ago, when we sat in a trustee meeting, you would have told me that I'd be here preaching and Uncle Bill would be in Warren, I would have laughed. That was not where anybody saw, well, it's not where we saw ourselves. I was telling my kids about Sunday school with Aunt Lydia and getting in trouble with Nathan and seeing how years pass and how things change and where you, see your, where you find yourself. And um, what struck me was that there's a relationship there, that this is someone that I know. This is, I drive past their old house every time I go skiing. Um, there's, there's connections that are there. And then I thought about this, this book that we're going to read. It, we'll, we'll spend a couple of weeks, I'm thinking. But the, the letter to the Colossians is one that the Apostle Paul writes, having never been there. It's one of the smaller cities that he writes a letter to. Um, he writes it and says at the end, 
um, that this should also be shared in Laodicea and Nephis, um, and then also that the letter that he wrote to Laodicea, that they should also read it. And I just, I wonder about that. What, what, kind of, what kind of presence did the Apostle Paul have? What kind of reputation did he have that he could write a letter that we'll see that is so personal? Not, not the kind of harsh letter that we see in some other places. Like, it wasn't like the letter to the Corinthians. But a letter of, of warning, yet encouragement, that can be written with a level of depth that as I stand here now, I, I find it's almost hard to imagine not having been able to have a personal relationship. And I'm hoping that as we would go through the, go through the book and, and kind of think about some of these things, that it would, um, it would give us some more understanding of what, what was behind the heart of what the Apostle Paul was writing here in, in Colossians. So, for this morning, I'd like to have us just read the first chapter. We'll, we'll break it down a little bit and um, pull out a, a few themes. So we'll start with verse 1 of uh, chapter 1 of Colossians. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto, you, unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding." that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthening with all might according to the glorious power with all patience and longsuffering and joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through the blood, even forgiveness from sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things on earth or things in heaven." 
And you, that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which have preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Wherefore, I made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and for generation, excuse me, which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Through the end of of chapter 1. So right on the surface, there are so many themes that we could take out of, out of this chapter one. And I, I wanted to have a little bit of a, of a broader, if I can use that term, um, perspective of what the thought is as to why the Apostle Paul was writing, writing this letter. If we, if we draw through on themes here, um, all through the rest of the, the chapters of the book, we see how he continues to harp on the sufficiency of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, that Christ being the center and the fulfillment of our faith. And to put it simply, the, la- the need for there not to be anything added to that, the need for us to be focused upon the fact that Christ is our salvation and in him is, there is fulfillment, complete fulfillment. And so the the, the thought, as, as scholars, I guess, would, would say, is that there must, have been, uh, there must have been some inroads that society had made or that other teachings had made. If you look into chapter 2 and 3, it starts to talk about things that would seem to be Judaism, pieces of Judaism coming in, talking about the meats that you shouldn't eat and the, the different, you know, not focusing on those old, those old habits. And then, again, following back up to this, the necessity to follow in, in Christ and to follow Christ only. But there was also a, a note that, and I guess I should get to locations-wise, but there was one thought that, um, is, how do I say this? Gnostics or Gnosticism, which was a, a thought that God was in all of us, that God was in all things was something that was starting to permeate there. And something that permeated even farther on with uh, Constantine, and and, and we're not going to get into all of that. But what struck me was when I read that thought about God being in everything, was what does our world look like today? If if somebody is to say that God is in everything, and we don't, and and he is... um, 
We'll just leave it at that. If God is in everything, then surely everything's relative, right? Because your God is different than my God, and my take on something is going to be different to your take, and all of a sudden we're in a, a state of relativism. And I'm probably not the person to talk about what each of these concepts are, so stay with me on the baby steps version of this. But as I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how, how seriously do we take Scripture? How seriously do we take the, sta- the statement that Verse 17, talking about Christ. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. How seriously do I take the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that he created all things, and that he has all things in his control? I, I want to read... A couple of factoids. I was reading these to the family this morning. When we say, how big is God? How powerful is God? The, the first statement someone said is, or how, how powerful is Christ? It, Jesus Christ is more important than gravity. He existed before gravity. He created gravity. If, if I cannot walk down this, this aisle in front of us to get to the front door without gravity, and yet he was there before and created it. And these are going to be obvious statements, but just perspective things. Comets have vapor trails up to 10,000 miles long. If you could capture all of that vapor and put it in a bottle, the amount of vapor actually present in the bottle would take up less than one cubic inch of space. Ethan had a one of those nose spray bottles this morning. There's about one cubic inch of space inside that little bottle. And to think of the perspective of a 10,000 mile long comet trail that that vapor would fit inside that little bottle. Saturn's rings are 500,000 miles in circumference, but only about a foot thick. If the sun were the size of a beach ball and put on the top of the Empire State Building, the nearest group of stars would be as far away as Australia is to the Empire State Building. The expanses of... There's a bunch more of these things, and maybe they're just fascinating to strange people like Ethan and I. The expansiveness of this solar system, of this universe, if you put a small little ball on the top of the Empire State Building... The distance from there to Australia is how far or how close the nearest star is to the sun. But there are times in my life when my reliance on God is shaky. My reliance and my trust in in God for sufficiency for caring for all my needs wavers and I get stressed and I get worked up and I, and I wonder if there's something else that I need to work for that's something else that I need to to build upon and what 
the Apostle Paul was trying to say here to a group of people he'd never met. And maybe, this is probably where I poorly thought this out, but how does a church get established in Colossae? It says that this man, Epaphras, who was a servant of Paul's, was a convert of Paul's at some point, was there and had planted this particular church. But we're not talking about a close distance to, um, to any of the other churches. This is in modern-day Turkey. And all we can take from, or all we can look back and, and assume is, if we look back in Acts chapter 19, and we'll remember from our study of Paul, Paul had that three-year window where he was in Ephesus. And it says that during that time in Ephesus, which would be the closest city to, to Colossae and Laodicea and all those places, in chapter 19, uh, it says, uh, starting with verse 8, And he, Paul, went up into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hurt, hardened and believed not and spake evil of that way which the multitude, be, excuse me, evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus, and this continued by the space of two years, so that all went, excuse me, so that all which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So it's, it, it says that Paul, for a period of at least two years, in this hall of Tyrannus, preached daily. Weekly, regularly, to the point where all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And assumingly, assumably, that's where Epaphras heard the word and then went out and established this church that Paul is now writing to. And, and seeing that they were separated, seeing that they um, were by themselves, apparently Paul gets word from Epaphras that there's a, a concern there, that there's a need there, that this wave of of needing to add something to their faith, this, this concern about them um, departing reliance on Christ is now starting to make inroads. And so Paul finds it necessary and needful to write them a letter. And he starts the letter out very glowingly. Um, talks about the love that they have. We heard of your faith in Christ and the love which you have for all the saints. Um, Epaphras declares unto us that you are your love in the Spirit. And for this cause, since the day we've heard of it, we do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be fulfilled, excuse me, that you would be filled with the knowledge of the will, of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He doesn't come right out at the beginning and say, I hear things are going really badly, and I'm writing to admonish you. He he confirms the baseline that they have. He confirms the fact that he knows of their faith. He's heard of their faith. He's seen um, testimony of, of their love and of their faithfulness. And now he wants to, to clarify and to encourage some certain concerns that he has. And he points out this, this fact that we were just talking about. Giving thanks unto the Father, who hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. In verse 12, pointing out that this is not a function of accomplishment. This isn't a function of you having worked hard enough 
to receive this gift of salvation, but it's an inheritance that you've been given by God to be a partaker of that inheritance of the saints. You've been delivered from the power of darkness and been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And then, talking about his son, tries to put the kibosh on any thought that Christ is not sufficient, that, that Christ is not one with the Father, that there is um, some additional need to, to add to your faith, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. I mean, how much more complete can we get here? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and earth, Visible, invisible, whether they're thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him, and all thing, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. If you're getting this letter, are you, are you wondering where he's coming from? What is, what is he setting us up for? Why is he being so heavy on that Christ is the all in all? Well, the answer comes when verse 23, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which has been preached to every creature. What is it? What is it about this world that causes us to... to be drawn to different, um, different thoughts, to be drawn to different needs. Ah, these are the wrong words that I'm using. I'm going to give you the example that I, I, I heard the other day. When you look in... If you, go to, uh, if you go to an old castle, if you go to an old castle, there's often going to be the room where they kept all the armor. There's going to be a room where, in a, let's use a medieval castle, for example. There's going to be the place where there's the shields and the, the mail and the, the, the coat of arms and all those things. And then there's going to be a sword. This massive sword, broadsword, I think they're called. You have to hold it with two hands. It's so impressive, but it's locked in a cabinet because in today's modern warfare, what is it good for? It's nice to look at. It's, it's nice to have there as a reminder of a bygone era, but what is it actually going to be helpful for? It's not, it's not going to be useful for cyber warfare. It's not going to be useful. And you know, the Ukrainians are not asking for broadswords. And so we often, it would be ridiculous for us to pull that off the wall and say that it's, it's applicable to my life today. And sometimes I think the rest of the world, for sure, looks at the Christian life that way. Right? This sword is, is antiquated. On my, on my computer monitor, for a couple of years now, I've had three sticky notes. 
And one of those sticky notes, they're all verses, uh, Bible verses. One of the sticky notes is the whatsoever's. Right? Whatsoever things are good, honest, true. All that, it's, it's sitting there. And the other one is there is no fear in love and perfect love casts out fear. And I moved offices last week. Last Friday, a week ago Friday, I, I changed offices. It's one of the, it's almost like the, the Jeffersons. I'm moving on up. I got the office next to my office. It's like two feet wider, got a little longer desk. And I've never been so uncomfortable in my entire life. Because for 12 years, I sat in the same office. And in that office, I faced this direction. And my door is here, and I could see people approaching. And I'm not like a super paranoid person. But now, I sit like this, and my door is over here, and people come from a different angle, and I can't see anybody approaching. And so a couple of times this past week, I'm now in for five days. I've been in this new spot for five days. But a couple of times this week, folks have come to the door and startled me. And I'm a, you know, I, my, I, I get red. My neck gets red. I get, and I, they, they startled me. And I had these verses on my computer screen that really weren't visible to everybody else before. It wasn't something, just by orientation of the computer monitors, you couldn't see them. Well, now when people sit on the other side of my desk, those things are just clearly visible. And one of my coworkers commented about, because I was like red in the face, because they come in and startle me. He says, well, how are those, how, how those words working out? I mean, you're, you're clearly not taking those things to heart. Looks like old words. I can't remember exactly how he phrased it. And it was a jab. I mean, it was a, it was a, a joke. It wasn't meant host, hostility or anything like that. But as I was thinking about that and then reading this or hearing this example about this, the thought that the rest of society looks at, looks at Scripture, looks at Christ as a broadsword, a, a, a forgotten relic of a bygone era. And you know what? I put those sticky notes on my, on my monitor a couple of years ago now. But the verses that are inscribed there, or scribbled there, just poorly by my hand, do I, do I take to heart and apply those truths with the reliance that Paul was calling the Colossians to have on Christ and on Scripture and on their relationship with him? Is, is my relationship with him that critical? Do I see my relationship with God, his salvation in my life, as more important than gravity? Intellectually, of course we do. Right? At some point, I'm gonna, I'll fly away old glory, right? At some point, glory, uh, gravity's not going to matter because we're going to be taken up in the clouds. We talked about um, the transfiguration over the last couple of months a couple of times. Gravity didn't matter then. But from day to day, our lives here below, the, the function of what we have to do, the, the punching a ticket from nine to five, or the simply going to the grocery store and getting groceries, or navigating through yet another wave of whatever, do we, do we see our lives as reliant on the Lord as they should be? 
the, the thoughts here centered on two, two counterpoints. Is my life based on my faith? Or is too often my faith based on the circumstances of life? Is my life based on faith, on my faith? Or is my faith too often influenced, maybe not based on, but too influenced by the affairs of life? The, the other way to, to think about it is, we, as believers, we live in Christ. We are in Christ. Old things are passed away, all things become new. But we still live in Syracuse. We're in Christ, but we are still physically here in Syracuse. These believers were in Christ, but they were still physically in Colossae. And everything that that meant was still having an impact on them. And what the apostle was really trying to hammer to them here is to recognize the power of God that lies not just for us, but within us. If we look at the intricacies of the... the intricacies of this world that he has created, the incredible power and yet the incredible detail and perfection that goes into it. Should that not cause my walk to be ever more surrendered to his direction and care? To be completely surrendered to his desires, his direction for my life? The song, I mean, it's a, I've always thought it was a little bit of a cheesy song. Why should I be discouraged? Why should the shadow fall? I don't remember how the first part goes. But his eye is on the sparrow and he watches over me. And then it says, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. If his eye is on the sparrow and he watches over me. I mean, just that example of this little ball of vapor, this tiny little piece of vapor can stretch over 10,000 miles. That seems, in, it's insanity to me. But, you know, last night we were watching a, a, a show together as a family about, you know, it's the Freuds and the space race, and here we went back to, we watched another thing about space, and these ladies that calculated the trajectory of getting the astronauts back into this atmosphere, and my goodness, I have trouble Math is not my strong suit. And so maybe that impresses me even that much more. But God created the mind to be able to allow someone to do that. Not with a calculator, not with a phone, just to strike these things out and to take them to the decimal point. To bring somebody from the moon and say, you're going to land in the ocean here in an area plus or minus, I think, two square miles. And yet, even though the sticky notes are on my monitor, I still get concerned. I still get worried. I still have those moments where I am probably like these Colossians, where I'm wondering what, what the next piece is supposed to be. Or even if I'm not wondering what the next thing I'm supposed to learn is or need to apply or to have revealed, I may not be as bold in addressing those truths as I should. When somebody comes to my desk and wants to talk about how those are old scriptures. Do they really apply? It wasn't the premise that they came with. But when those opportunities come to us, how firmly and how boldly do I proclaim that, yes, I, that, I believe that? Does my life exemplify a life lived without fear, 
when the rest of the world looks like it's falling apart, am I able to talk about a purpose? Am I able not to just to talk about it, but to show a purpose? It's one thing to be able to pull up, let me pull up uh, this brother's Facebook page and show you what a purpose they have in the chaos of, of Ukraine. This is really a testimony. I, I want to show you this testimony. But the wheels come a little bit off of my wagon and I'm getting myself all frustrated and shut my door and pout and try to figure out how to fix the next problem. We're called to e exemplify the lives that the Apostle Paul was describing here. Not just the lives, the truths that the Apostle Paul was ex ex explaining here. After talking about the sufficiency of Christ, talking about how we have no more war, we have no, we've been reconciled with him, he says, I, Paul, am made a minister who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for the body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which hath given me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery having been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest unto all saints. These truths that couldn't be understood, that were too powerful, that were too, too high for all, any to understand, have now been made manifest and clearly revealed and given to the point where because of Christ's death on the cross, those things that, we, that the Jews could not understand for ages past are now able to be embraced and applied within our lives. To whom God made known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whom we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom that we, may present, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So the blessing here, or the encouragement to me was, this isn't an established, the fact is that Christ has given us that he is the hope of glory and has given us all things as is necessary to be perfected in him. But that's a continual process. Because as we are in him, we're still in this world. We're still in Syracuse as much as no, we are in Christ, yet we are still in Syracuse. And that being the case, this afternoon will come. Tomorrow will come. And as they do, things will come in our path. And a question will come. Your office is, my office isn't going to change for a while now. Twelve years in one configuration, now one week in the next. I'm still going to get used to that. But something else is going to happen. This is a, a silly little thing. Something else is going to come in this week that's going to require each of us to ask a question or to answer a question of a friend or of a neighbor or to explain an experience we've made. And I pray that as we see those things, as I see those things unfold before me, that I can do a better job, a more, more complete job, of speaking to the truths of my relationship with God so that it would be a greater witness to those around me. That, that my reactions to the things that happen would be testimonies, not... That they would be testimonies of faith.
and not just the actions of an employee. That when something happens with, with the kids, when the kids ask a, a particular question, we're having, there's a, another acquaintance that we have that um, has a daughter that's going through, through cancer treatments. And talking about that with the kids and, and trying to explain, explain the effects of, well, I'll give you the example. How do you explain the effects of cancer treatments on a child? This little girl's in the hospital, and she's in the hospital today because her cancer treatments are making her sick. But if she wasn't having the cancer treatments, she would have passed away already. And how do you navigate the, that discussion with, it's easier with the older guys, but how do, how do you navigate that description to a little one and explain that God is working in this situation? Us praying that she has a good night tonight is not praying that God would, uh, we're, certainly we're praying that God would take this or her away from this situation, but God hasn't forsaken her. God hasn't forgotten about her. The fact that she's sick is not God's fault. All of those kind of examples, all of those, those interactions are things that we encounter on a daily basis. And I, as I've looked back at it, and I, as I was looking now into this, this book of Colossians, the, the admonition that I, I was taking away from it is that I have not been intentional enough to make the heavenly perspective a part of my everyday walk. Maybe that's the way that I can say that the most eloquently for me. Is a heavenly perspective of my everyday walk. If I am in Christ, but I am still here below, then my walk needs to be not just increasingly, but always tied to those things of faith. So that the actions that I take as a dad, the actions that I take as an employee, the actions that I take as a whatever, customer at the store, are tied to my walk in Christ and that folks can see that. And if they're not, then that can be an admonition to me that things need to be adjusted. That maybe, maybe there's a letter coming. I don't, again, I can only imagine what this was like for these believers who had not, maybe some of them were there at Tyrannus' house or school and had heard Paul preach. We know Epaphras was. Maybe some of the others were too. But most probably weren't. And so a letter came from on high. The church father, the one that they'd all heard about, who had a concern that what he was hearing was happening at home was, was dangerous and was pulling them away from the walk that he knows that they had had, that the testimony that he had received from Epaphras was one that he now was concerned was waning. And it was concerning enough that it didn't go just to that church. He says at the end, he's like, you know what, read this letter. I want this letter to be read in the other churches around too. Because it's going to be for all of your good. And for us today, a couple thousand years later, we're reading the same passage. Because it's good for us to hear it too. The... I'm sorry, I'm looking for one phrase. The 
The spirit of the age. That's what it was. The spirit of the age influencing the church. That's not specific to AD 62 or 2022. The spirit of the age has influenced the church at every opportunity, at every stage. And today, it's just a different spirit. Different age, different spirit. And the constant is that the broadsword that we wield in the spirit and written before us that we have recorded is unchanging. And so, perhaps just, not just for us as a reminder individually, but for us as a reminder collectively as a, as a family of faith, and for us as a reminder as just a little family in Westville, that is unchanging. And that should be desirous to all the rest of the world. That's, the fact that there's a constant right now should be the thing that is the most attractive about our walk. And pray that we can find more opportunities and, and more clear opportunities to share that with our loved ones, to share that with our acquaintances, and share it with the people that know us the best. And I know that, uh, that tomorrow, those two little sticky notes are going to be there. But I've had a conviction there needs to be a couple more. And I need to put them in a couple other places, not just because I need to see them, but because too often my life is not causing the question to be asked. And I need a bit more prompting, even just in that new office. Pray the Lord would bless these few words.